Welcome everyone to the Pretty Amazing Podcast. It's not even the right letters. You're right. It's, it's not. Anyway, moving on from dead great-grandpas who happen to be doctors, the Senate just released their health care bill. Wait, they're not going to know anything of what you're just talking about, because that was before. What do you mean that was before? Well, like, the stuff that you were talking about with your grandfather, that wasn't, um, like, that wasn't part of the recording. Oh, shit. It wasn't? No. I figured we were just starting and then just going into the podcast and then... No. Oh. So it's not going to make any sense. Well, I, I had a great-grandpa who died of heat stroke because he was a doctor and he was just going from house to house giving medical care and then he started dying of heat stroke and then they tried getting him water and shit and he just, like, it, it didn't work out. Where was he? He was a village doctor in India. A lot of villages. Like, he was a government doctor. He was a what? He was a government doctor. That's a very sad story. I'm sorry for your loss before you were born. Well, I've heard some very interesting stories about the fellow. Okay. Anyway, Republican health care bill. A bill, healthcare bill that would probably make my great grandpa roll over in the Ganges River. Man, this is really morbid. This story has gotten super morbid. <laughs> He's not, he can't roll over in his grave because, you know, every single time, like, Hindus die, they're cremated, and then they're dumped into the Ganges River. Okay, well. You know, I guess that makes sense then. So he's rolling over in the Ganges River next to the ashes of George Harrison. Wait, George Harrison was spread in the Ganges River? Yeah. Huh. He he died. Before he died, he got he converted to Hinduism. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Well, anyway, we're talking about health care. Yes. yes, we're talking about health care. Specifically, the Senate bill that is was introduced this week. Mm-hmm. So, should we talk about what's in it before we talk yeah, about give anything? Yeah, give a brief summary. Um, well, so it's still relatively new. So uh, I think people are still reading it and trying to figure out everything that's in there. But overall, it's somewhat similar to the House bill, uh, particularly in the ways that it deals with Medicaid, which we talked about the House bill in episode three or four. I can't remember. The The episode is called the AHCA. So, um, so the Senate bill is pretty similar to that. It also... Uh, repeals the Medicaid expansion that was part of the Affordable Care Act 
uh, and then goes further to cut Medicaid after that and make it a block grant program, which is right now Medicaid is an entitlement program uh, that's shared between the federal government and the state government. So anybody who qualifies for Medicaid, uh, the state government pays a certain percentage of their costs and then the federal government pays the rest. And it's all of their costs. So whatever their health care is up costing um, is covered. Whereas what this bill would do and what the House bill would do would be to um, create a block grant, which is where the federal government essentially gives the state a lump of money and they cover as many people as they see fit. And if they cover whatever costs they see fit, so they could not cover all the costs. If they want to continue to cover everything, they have to make up the difference. Anyway, end result is $800 billion cut, or $880 billion cut to Medicaid. Um, it actually doesn't change the structure of Obamacare that much in terms of you still get subsidies based on income um, for private insurance versus the House bill, which had subsidies based on age. Uh, what it does do is changes the subsidies completely. So essentially, um, the Affordable Care Act uh, said that you there was a certain amount of coverage that you had to get, and the, you would, could only pay up to a certain percentage of your income. The Senate bill doubles the in percentage of your income that you have to pay for health care and cuts the stuff that that health care has to cover, so you end up paying more for less coverage. Um, and, oh, and they cut it off. So it used to be you get received subsidies all the way up to 400% of the full poverty line. They changed it to 350%. Um, they got rid of the individual mandate, which was the requirement that you had to have insurance or pay a tax penalty. And defunds Planned Parenthood for a year. And cuts a whole bunch of taxes for rich people. Because it basically repeals all of the Affordable Care Act taxes, which were only on people making $200,000 uh, a year. So, And that's it. So I guess the first question is, do you think it will pass? Yeah. That's a tough one. <clears throat> I think it probably will, though. Yeah. And if it doesn't, I mean, we're obviously going to probably adjust it to meet the more hardcore conservatives' wishes and the more moderate. I think that they could reach an agreement because they all hate Obamacare like crazy. And it looks really bad if they just sit there and let it continue existing so I think that I'll probably pass I mean we have a Republican majority in the House and the Senate like we don't have at this point what they have in ye old England you know with their whole hung parliament situation so it's not as if in order to get anything passed Republicans have to appeal to Democrats, and Democrats have to appeal to Republicans. Actually, no. That came out wrong. It's not like 
in order for anything to get passed, the Republicans have to appeal to the Democrats because they have the majority. So depending on how they structure this bill, they should be able to get it passed. The reason I said depending on how they structure this bill is because I remember there was this bill in the um, 2010, something like that. I think it was the Zadroga Act, where the way that the Democrats had set it up, they needed a two-thirds majority in order to carry it for some reason. Well, usually it's a 60-vote majority. I mean, like the Affordable Care Act, you needed 60 votes in the Senate to pass. Um, But what Republicans are doing here is they're passing all this legislation under budget reconciliation. So they don't have to get 60 votes. So essentially Democrats can't filibuster it. Um, They only need 51 votes. They really only need 50 votes because then Mike Pence would be the tiebreaker. Um, So now what that does is that because they pass things in reconciliation, that means there are certain things that they can't do. Uh, so, for example, I mentioned that they that it gets rid of the individual mandate. It actually doesn't get rid of the individual mandate because legally, reconciliation bills can only deal with the budget. Um, they were only meant for the budget, so you couldn't pass like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what, what I would say, but like you couldn't pass just some random brand new law under budget reconciliation because otherwise everybody would do that to get around filibuster. So what it does the- instead, though. It has to affect the budget. So what they do with the individual mandate is they just turn the tax the tax penalty to zero dollars. So like it's still there when you fill out your tax return, you'll still have to check the little box of whether you had insurance for a whole year. But it like if you say no, then there's no tax penalty. So good to know. But that also could give them some issues on certain parts of the bill um but it's it's too early to tell people have to look at it and have to look at the wording more closely because to make sure that everything in it um pertains to the budget but in terms of will it pass i'm going with a yes i mean when the republican bill came up i said yes then that it would pass because lots of people were saying no there's no way it would pass there are too many the conservatives weren't happy with it, and the the moderates weren't happy with it, and you couldn't please them both to get something to pass. And and when the first bill first came up and it failed, like a lot of people were proven right, and I started thinking like, oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe they can't come together on this because my stance is always Republicans will pass this bill because Republicans always fall in line, right? Unlike Democrats. I mean, with Democrats, even though they had 60 votes in the Senate in 2010 to pass the Affordable Care Act, it was a brutal slog. And there were so many concessions that had to be made. And there were people like fucking Joe Manchin and Joe Lieberman who were who would like unequivocally not support a public option, which the Democrats wanted, campaigned on, Obama promised. And but Republicans don't tend to do that. Republicans tend to fall in line with whatever leadership says and but then they didn't and i was like oh well that's interesting so maybe maybe something changed and then two weeks later they rushed through a compromise bill that was 
more conservative, and yet somehow the moderates voted for it anyway. So after that whole thing, I'm not changing my mind on this. I 100% believe that this will pass. Maybe not this exact version, but they'll do the same thing that they did last time. They'll get together, they'll hash out some bullshit compromise that will be even worse than the original bill, and then they'll pass it just because nobody seems to want to... Nobody seems to actually care about what's in the bill. They're all just talking about passing it. And you you see interview after interview of Republican senators and John McCain and, uh, you know, Conran and all these people, Eric Cornyn, and they're just like, yeah, we have to get to 50 votes. And then the reporter will ask him, like, yeah, but what are you trying to solve with this bill? I'm like, well, we're trying to repeal Obamacare. It's like, but that's not... That's not a healthcare concern that you're trying to fix. Like, what what are you trying to do with this bill to improve healthcare? And they're just like, oh, we're we're trying to uh, you know enhance freedom. It's like the fuck does that mean? So none of them care what's in the bill. They'll end up voting and it'll pass. And well, God yeah, because most of the people who are voting for this bill haven't freaking read it. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's just. So that's the next thing. Uh, Let's talk about the process, because I find this absolutely hilarious and not at all surprising. When Obamacare was passed in 2010, Mitch McConnell, the motherfucker that he is, was on TV all the time talking about, oh, Democrats are not doing this with, you know, bipartisan and they're trying to write this legislation all in secret and pass it and behind closed doors without anybody seeing it and and blah, blah, blah. And the whole thing was bullshit because, I mean, when Ob- when the Affordable Care Act was signed, it was signed on, like, Christmas Eve of 2009? Yeah. 2009. So it was debated for over a whole year, first of all. Because Democrats actually started debating it before the new Congress. They started debating it in, in December the year before. So they started working on these bills. Debated them for over a year. It ha- it was on the Senate floor for debate for 25 days. There were 500 plus amendments pr- proposed. It got a Republican vote in committee. Uh, it was the senator from Maine. I don't remember her name now. Uh, but it got her vote in committee. Obama had freaking health care summits where Republicans and Democrats came together and it was so ridiculous and McCain still made up all these bullshit lies about it. And then he turned around and literally did, he actually did the thing that he complained about before, which is there was not a single Democrat involved in the committee. They're not reaching across the aisle at all because so that's why they're doing everything in reconciliation. So they don't need any democratic votes. Um, there, you know, they just introduced the bill Thursday, and they're going to vote on it this Thursday. They're not allowing any amendments. They're not even allowing 10 hours worth of debate. Uh, it's just, he's such a snake, and he's such a, a hypocrite. And it's completely unsurprising, but... I mean, I don't think that's fair to single out McConnell for this. And well, No, and, it's the whole, I- the whole thing. I mean, you Paul, like there's tons of clips of Paul Ryan doing the same thing. Like, hmm. I don't think it's fair to call out Mr. Turtle here. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't like to make fun of him because of his looks, but I, I think that just you're right. It's not just Mitch McConnell. There were lots of senators that got asked. I mean, because like John McCain talked about the process, right? He was like, "Oh, well, the process sucks, and I don't like this process, and all this stuff happened to him close behind closed doors." And reporters were like, "Well, then why don't you withhold your vote?" Like, if you told Mitch McConnell, I'm not going to vote for this bill unless we have a public debate on it and allow amendments and allow it to be on the floor, then, you know, if there were like three of you that did that, then you wouldn't have 50 votes because there are only 52 Republican senators. So if only three of you promised to withhold your vote, you could change the process and none of them will do it. Well, of course they won't. Like, it, the, the problem with being the first person to kind of go ahead and want change, that there's always the risk of you're going to be that one person with just a shit ton of egg on your face. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does, but it's just... <laughs> It's a perfect example of the difference between Republicans and Democrats, right? Because, like I said, in 2010 when this was happening, Joe Lieberman did do that. He literally went and was like, I will not vote for any bill that comes across that has a public option. And Democrats caved and got rid of the public option. And Republicans, the leadership doesn't cave. The act, the base doesn't cave. It's the moderates that cave. Always, and with Democrats, it's it's the it's the base that caves. So, anyway, I don't know. What are your threats? Or thoughts, Brett? Um, do you guys think that there would be any situation where, say, a party has like no need to reach across the aisle? And they would, because I think that this is proof that compromise people are only willing to do compromise in Congress when it's absolutely necessary. Uh, well, I, I think that, yes, there was a time. Well, okay, first of all, I think that the Affordable Care Act was it, right? As I said... So, I mean, let's just be clear, first of all, that the Affordable Care Act was based on Republican legislation, right? It was written by the same guy that wrote the health care plan for, for Massachusetts that Mitt Romney signed that was called Romney Care. It's literally called the exact same thing. It, the bill in Massachusetts in 2006 was called the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, literally what the federal law was called. The structure was basically the same. The version of Massachusetts was actually a little more liberal because it expanded uh, the public health services more. And um, so Democrats theoretically, just by proposing this idea instead of a single payer system or a, like I said, they got rid of the public option. They theoretically were reaching across the aisle I and mean, they didn't need to. Because they had 60 senators. They had 60 Democratic senators. They could have passed anything with Democratic votes. Because the, even 
without doing reconciliation, even without doing any tricks like the Republican Congress is doing now, they could have just, they had everything they needed to beat a filibuster. And they had the House and they had the President. So, and yet they still did reach across the party lines. They tried to appease Republicans. As I said, they got a Republican vote out of committee. And they completely got bit on it because then McConnell and... Uh, at the time, it was Boehner. They whipped up and said, doesn't matter. We're not going to put any Republican votes for this at all. Zero. Anybody who votes for this, you know, we're going to primary you. And so it didn't matter how much reaching across the aisle that was done, how much attempt to compromise was done. Republicans put the stake in the ground that we're not going to vote for this no matter what. And I think ever since then, and maybe it was too much to expect then, but I think now, no, there's no reason for a party to reach across the aisle. And maybe there wasn't in 2010. Maybe I'm giving too much credit to Democrats in 2010. I, you know, I don't know, but I, I do believe that there would have been a time. I mean, all you have to do, especially let's just keep on Medicare or on uh, health insurance, health care, uh, you know, Medicaid or Medicare. When that was introduced, that got 30, 40 Republican votes. Right. Uh, same with Medicaid. That would never happen today. And, and I mean, that was in the House, but that would never happen today. And so, yeah, in the modern era. No, I don't think there's it. And I think especially seeing what Republicans are doing through reconciliation. Um, no, there's absolutely no need for either party to work across the aisle anymore. And if anything, you know, I think it's interesting because Mitch McConnell, one of the ways that he's whipping up votes in the caucus for this bill for people who are. You know, there are a lot of Republican senators who are concerned about the Medicaid cuts because Medicaid, their states, either they're in a blue state or they're in a Republican state that expanded Medicaid and covered lots of people. And those people are going to lose their coverage, right? There's no way around it. I mean, you know, I think the biggest bullshit lie is people saying like, oh, there's no cuts to Medicaid. There's no cuts to Medicaid. And it's like, no, you're cutting $800 billion over 10 years. There are going to be people that lose coverage like you can't have less money and say that nobody is going to lose coverage you know just because you're not writing a line that says we're going to reduce who's eligible instead what you're doing you're saying yeah everybody that's eligible today is still going to be eligible but we're just not going to have as much money to pay for you well people are still going to lose coverage right and so there are some Republican senators that are worried about that, but what they're using to whip up those votes is saying that if you uh, don't vote to repeal this now, uh, then you're basically signing up for single payer, that re Democrats will pass single payer in the future. My opinion is the way that they've done this whole process, there's no absolutely no reason for Democrats to compromise or reach across the aisle or even compromise with the moderates in their party the way that they did in 2010, I think this bill is going to lead to single payer. When then, whenever it happens to be that Democrats take over and have all three branches, the White House, 
the the House and the Senate, even if there's only 53 senators and 278 House you know representatives that are Democrats, they'll use reconciliation and they'll expand Medicare, right? And it'll be easy because they'll just say, "Oh, we're not creating something new. We're not passing anything new." We're just like all the Obamacare stuff or all this Republican bill stuff. We're going to zero it out to zero dollars. And we're going to change the eligibility requirements for Medicare from 65 to 25 or to 20 or 18. And so anybody can sign up for Medicare at that point. Right. And there's literally what excuse, what reason do they have to compromise and to work together now? So I actually think they're increasing the likelihood of single payer by passing this bill, especially in this way. All right. I mean, that's that. That's what has been happening in this day and age. Without a common enemy for Democrats and Republicans to essentially rally against, there's not as much reason to. Actually, no. I, I actually now that I'm saying that, I'm not entirely sure I agree with that. Because yes, like during the Cold War and all that, we had the Russians and all that to focus on however in this modern age i feel like we don't have what we had in the 60s and 70s which is very liberal republicans and very conservative democrats yeah okay um before we i guess just trash congress to the ground let's see if we're actually any better so you guys are single-payer people, and I'm more, I guess, free market. So I was thinking, like, if you were in Congress and you wanted to, you wanted to be compromising, what exactly would you be willing to compromise in terms of health care? Huh. Well, I'll let Armour go first, because I have an answer to this. Or do you want me to go first? All right. Well, I, I, in terms of compromise, I feel as if I would sort of want to do... Are you, are you familiar with the Constitutional Convention? I mean... Waits for yeah, answer. But... They had yeah. two plans. They had the Virginia plan and... Shit, I forget the other one. As, as, as someone who's really big on American history, this is really embarrassing. Uh, yeah, I forgot what it was, too. Anyway, go ahead. I'll look it up. Anyway, Keep going with your question. Anyway, the, the whole thing is... New Jersey Both plan. of them... Okay, yeah, the New Jersey plan. Yeah. And... They both had different ideas as to how they wanted things done. Virginia wanted senators and House of Representatives be based on population, whereas New Jersey wanted it to be based on, you know, every state, every person gets the same amount. So what they did is they combined the two. As you know, the system is today. There's two senators from every state. However, each state gets um, districts, and based on the amount of districts you have, 
that's the amount of representatives you have. So as a result, it's population-based is how many people you get in the House of Representatives, but every state gets the same amount of senators. As a result, they're able to create a compromise between New Jersey and the Virginia plan and get both of them part of what they wanted. So what I would say is both of us would take our plans forward and we would see what we could do in terms of resolving both of what we want and seeing if we can some kind of healthy compromise. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's vague and... I mean, I think that's a principle. Well, okay, so I'll just give my answer. Yes, I think there is a compromise. I mean, first of all, I'm coming from the standpoint that the Affordable Care Act itself was a compromise that just no Republicans ended up voting for. Again, I maintain this is what, you know, Mitt Romney signed in 2006 in Massachusetts. This is a, a proposal that was um, conceived by the Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank. Uh, there were liberal parts added to it, particularly the Medicaid expansion. But ultimately, the idea of, I mean, the Affordable Care Act is supposed to be a free market solution to insurance, Right. It's, it's not the government is only subsidizing low-income people so that they can afford it. But ultimately, if you're on the individual market, you still, like, there literally, there's an exchange. And you select from multiple different insurance providers the plan that you want at the price that you want that gives you the coverage that you want. And then you pay for it there. And then if you're low-income, the government helps you. So the parts that were, that's a free market solution, right? That is essentially just helping people afford care if they're, if they're low income. The parts that were liberal that were thrown into it were the Medicaid expansion because Medicaid is a single payer program. So they expanded Medicaid from 100% of full poverty line up to um, 200% or 166%, I think, of full poverty line. That's the people that get coverage under Medicaid now. And the reason they did that, though, was to save money because Medicaid pays a lot less per person than private insurance or even Medicare. Um, and that's why, but fewer doctors accept Medicaid, right? And, and because they don't get paid as much for their services. But nonetheless, so I, I think Affordable Care Act was a compromise as it is. But if you wanted to compromise even further, there are things that you could do, okay? So you could, for example, repeal the Medicaid expansion, take it back to what it was before the Affordable Care Act, and you could, in turn, put those people onto the exchanges, but then you have to make sure that you're going to pay for those exchanges, okay? You could get rid of the individual mandate. That's what a lot of Republicans have been railing against from the beginning, is the individual mandate that requires you to have insurance, Right? Okay, you could take away the individual mandate, but what you need to do then, because if you take away the individual mandate, the whole point of the individual mandate was, the whole point of the system was, if private insurance is going to cover people, then they have to make a profit. And it is not profitable to cover sick people. That's why they didn't do it before. That's why they don't want to do it now. So the government had to make it profitable for them to cover 
particularly poor sick people, but just sick people in general, people with pre-existing conditions, people with long-term uh, congenital costs that, you know, so they had to get rid of the caps and all that stuff. So you could, and the individual mandate was a way of forcing people to healthy people, young healthy people, to buy insurance that they wouldn't otherwise pay for if there was no requirement. And if they didn't pay for it, they had to pay a tax penalty and use that money to subsidize the insurance companies so that they could make a profit on the sick people that they were covering. The problem with the Affordable Care Act is that the tax penalty wasn't high enough and the subsidies weren't generous enough. So there are a lot of people who looked at that and said, it was cheaper for me to pay the tax penalty than it would be to sign up for insurance so they didn't sign up for insurance anyway. And so the also, amount of people that ended up signing up for Obamacare tended to be sicker than what was predicted. And that meant their costs were higher. And so therefore it became more difficult for the insurance companies to make a profit. So you could have fixed that by increasing the tax penalty or increasing the subsidies. But if you wanted to compromise, you could get rid of the penalty completely and you could do what some Republicans proposed, including Tom Price, who's now the Health and Human Services Secretary, which was automatic enrollment, which is the idea that if you are, uh, you're automatically enrolled to some base level insurance plan, right? And you have to actively opt out versus having to go get it yourself. And, but we're going to opt you into a low cost plan let's say a high deductible plan or something like that uh, that covers less services or something like that, but you're automatically enrolled. And then if you are low income, we'll pay for the services or whatever. So they could have gotten rid of the individual mandate and done automatic enrollment. They could have rolled back some of their requirements on stuff that it had to cover for certain age groups. Um, they could have done things to, uh, come to a compromise on what is covered. So, for example, uh, under the Affordable Care Act, uh, in order to qualify for subsidies, your plan had to cover 70% of the cost, right? That was the benchmark for how you got subsidies, was 70% of, of your medical costs had to be covered by the insurance plan. They could have reduced that, which is what the Senate bill does. The Senate bill reduces it to 58%. So essentially, you have higher out-of-pocket expenses, higher deductibles, higher copays. Uh, they could have come to a compromise on that. So there was an opportunity there to work with Democrats and say, "Okay, we're going to get rid of the individual mandate. We're going to drop what this stuff has to cover, and in return, to stabilize the markets and to bring premiums down, we'll make the subsidies more generous for poor people." Uh, and middle income people so that more people can be covered and we'll roll back the Medicaid expansion, but we'll make those people eligible for subsidies. That would have been a way to go, but they didn't. So something I find very interesting is if we actually look at the free market angle and just sort of go with that, like what if we would have like a fuck metric crap load of insurance companies that are trying to provide insurance in order for them to be able to logistically compete with one another they have to provide competitive rates and uh, essentially speaking work in ways that make it so that people want to get insurance from them 
rather than our current situation in which they can do what are essentially, I feel, I don't know, predatory, I guess? I don't know how to put it. But I just think that if we're going free market, going for just the classic Adam Smith law of competition would very much allow for us to create something that would better fit democratic ideals. Well, and look, if if there were if you really wanted to be revolutionary and come up with ideas, there are other concepts of health coverage that you could explore. For example, in Maryland, they have what's called an all-payer system. It's not a single-payer system. It's an all-payer system. And essentially, what it's done is the government has a group that works together with health care providers in the state, and they normalize what the prices of certain services are. So that if you wanted to pay, because part of the problem you have right now is doctors and hospitals and insurance companies have these stupid networks, right? And so if I go to one doctor's office, they'll charge, you know, $200 for an x-ray. And if I go to another doctor or hospital or radiology center or whatever, they'll charge $80 for an x-ray. And if I go to another one, they'll charge $800 for an x-ray. And then the insurance company works out what they pay and what percentage and all that stuff. All that's ridiculous. So what Maryland has is they have an all-payer system where the government has a, an agency that works together with all of the doctors and hospitals in the state, and they say, here is what an x-ray costs. Wherever you go in the state, that's what an x-ray costs. And all of the doctors and everybody have come together and decided this is a fair market price for this thing. And the insurance companies then cover that, Right. And so that helps control costs from that way. And you still have private insurance companies that are still doing that. But you have some government intervention to make sure that there's stability in the market, right? That's one thing that could have happened. Another thing that could have happened is there was a system that was in place before insurance was really popular, before like a long time ago, like in the 30s and 40s, where uh, you would essentially have like a, there would be a group of doctors and hospitals who would band together and create a care group, right? And what you would do is you would essentially pay a subscription fee to this care group, which is you would pay this group $1,000 a year. And that group would have everything that you needed, right? So there would be a general practitioner, an, an, opto uh, an optometrist, uh, you know, a hospital with emergency services, uh, an advanced, you know, or, or what do they call it? Uh, a quick care facility. There would be an ENT, it, it, whatever, anything that you can think of, right? Oncologist, blah, 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 blah. And this group, you would essentially pay $1,000 a year and you could go get your services from that group anytime that you wanted, right? These are things that if you were really interested in healthcare, that you could pursue and that would be interesting but nobody is really interested in health care in particularly republicans republicans i don't think are interested in health care i think democrats are interested in health care but they're singularly focused on single payer republicans i don't think are interested in health care because i don't think they think the government should be doing it and and also insurance companies heavily and pharmaceutical companies Heavily lobby Congress. And I think that actually affects some, a lot of Democrats, too, particularly Cory Booker, if we're naming names. And so we don't even have these kinds of discussions. Like, it just all gets around like, nope, 
not helping anybody, you know, it's hundred percent insurance companies or single payer. And I mean, the, the problem with the United States and I feel like medical services in the United States is that things cost a lot more here than they do in Europe. I mean, the classic thing is when you talk about medicine and how much medicine costs in Europe versus how much it costs in the United States. And you have the pharmaceutical industry saying, well, we need to pay for research and development. But something that you notice is that most of the money spent by pharmaceutical industries is spent on one, convince on taking doctors out to fancy lunches and in order to convince them to try and get their patients to try said products or putting advertisements on television in order to convince people that these drugs are in fact for them. As far as I'm aware, there are countries out there where you just aren't allowed to advertise medicines like that. And I don't know. I, I think that the way that we're doing things is fundamentally wrong. And that the fact that people have worked the pharmaceutical industry the way that they have And in, in part, I feel as if there were multiple people trying to make a depression medicine, then perhaps they would have to actually price their medicine at a competitive rate instead of trying to gouge people or provide medical practices on patients and try and provide said practices at, low, at a lower cost to the patients so that way, patients will want to go to them over their competing hospital or competing medical brand or what have you. Does, does, does any of what I'm saying make sense? Yeah. I mean, the reason why drugs in Europe are so much cheaper is because they have a bidding process for which uh, drug the government is going to uh, is going to give to its uh, its people who receive its health care. So, oh, I mean that's it's like a free market thing that isn't a single payer thing. Uh, well, I don't know. If that's really free market. Well, I mean, depends on how you look at I mean, it. I but I think it's that competition. Well, and I think, for example, another compromise could have been in the United States, just as an example of how bought our politicians are, it's literally against the law for Medicare and Medicaid to negotiate drug prices. They literally have to pay whatever the vendor asks. That, to me, is ridiculous. Like, that's not free market. That's not competition. Yeah. And so, so a compromise could have been hey, you know, we'll give you some pushback on whatever. Like I said, reducing the Medicaid expansion or whatever. And in return, 
you know, let Medicare and Medicaid negotiate drug prices. Let us import approved drugs from Canada. Right. In, and in, in order to. Well, I was just, just going to say, and some of those would even have support because, uh, you know, shockingly, people like Ted Cruz voted. There was an amendment in a bill earlier this year uh, to allow importation of drugs from Canada at lower prices. And there were some Republican senators that voted for it, including Ted Cruz. But maybe that's because Ted Cruz is Canadian. So <laughs> It's Sorry. interesting, Paul, how you said that Republicans and conservatives in general aren't super interested in health care. And I think that's pretty true because when I was thinking about it, like from the very start, I don't have a huge interest in healthcare, and I think part of the reason is is because healthcare in general is kind of managing symptoms rather than um, looking at the the root like cause of health, which is ultimately the culture of the people. And what I mean by that is. Um, if, if people if people were living healthier, you know, driving more safely, if they if they ate healthier diets, we would have a lot more money available to help people who really are in need. So it's if if you if you create a system that that benefits people for poor decisions what you're inevitably doing is is by dampening the consequences of those decisions you're you're in a way encouraging it and that is always in the back of the mind of a conservative when we're talking about health care and that's why they take more of a hands-off approach yeah, and I think that's a fundamentally bad way to look at it. I think, first of all, I, okay, let's just look at the let's just look at the core assumption here, which is that giving people health care is an endorsement of bad health decisions. You're right. I think a lot of conservatives do look at that, and I think it's gross. Do look at it that way, and and I think that's disgusting. And I think because the evidence shows the opposite. I mean, when you get preventative care that helps you make better life decisions, right? If you, for example, because you always come back to this, which is people eating a poor diet, even though that's not at all the main driver of healthcare costs. But if you're eating a poor diet and you well, have... Well, what is then? It's, well, okay, so mainly old age, right? And if you're talking about fat people, fat people don't make it to old age generally. But old age people make up the, main, the majority of healthcare costs. Because the body just eventually starts breaking down, right? Yeah, and if you exercise throughout your life and you have a better diet, you're not going to experience the same kind of health problems in older age. No, it's simply wrong. As you get older, the body just starts breaking down and you start having more problems with um, not even things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol. You just start having problems with... Your bones get more brittle. Bone density goes down as you get older. 
broken bones, broken hips. Uh, you have all kinds of effects of the brain, right? You start getting dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. Cancer risk goes up as you get older. I mean, all these things happen. And that has nothing to do with this person was fat when they were, you know, 30. Right. But so, but even so, let's assume you're talking about the person that's overweight when they're 30. The way that you attack that isn't to just let them go out and not have any health care. You get them services. You have health insurance. It says a doctor tells you, hey, here are the problems that you're going to experience. And here are the things that you need to do to avoid this. Right. Like if you're going along and you don't ever go to the doctor because you can't afford it or whatever the case may be. And then so you don't know that you have diabetes or you don't have uh, high cholesterol or that you have high cholesterol or something like that, then you just keep doing whatever lifestyle you're doing, right? At least when you go to the doctor and they run the test and they say, hey, you've got high cholesterol or hey, you've got diabetes. Here's the things you have to do. And then you can get them with a nutritionist to make them to help them change the lifestyle. You can do any of these measure of things to help this to help attack this problem. What you don't do is just sit there and judge them and condemn them to death. That's not how this works. Okay. So there's problem one. Problem two is you're just lumping in a whole bunch of people who have none of that, who didn't make any decisions. Right. So people who become disabled for whatever reason, through something in their work, through something with, um, through a, a congenital or, you know, a birth, uh, issue, a hereditary issue, stuff like that. So you're just lumping all those people in and say, I don't care because I don't want to help people that eat too much McDonald's. And then the third problem you have is that um, you, you seem to tie it to healthcare, which is that, you know, the only that if I'm providing these people with healthcare, it's justifying their bad decisions. And the way to make them change their behavior is to take away healthcare. No, there are other ways to to change behavior without condemning people to not have health care, and Republicans fight against that too. So, for example, make school lunches healthier, right? I mean, you could just make school lunches healthier, and that would start kids on a path towards better eating for their whole entire yeah. life. And then and Michelle Obama started that. And now the Trump administration is delaying it and saying, oh, no, you don't have to do that. Republicans were fighting against that the whole time. There are things that you could do to discourage sugar consumption. Lots of cities are instituting sugar taxes now, which discourages people, just like we have tobacco taxes that discourage people from smoking cigarettes because that's bad for your health. You can put a, put a, a tax on sugar so people don't eat much so drink don't drink so much soda and eat so many candy bars, right? Oh, I have a question. Yeah, wasn't wasn't there a mayor of a city that made it so you couldn't get sodas in a certain size? Yes, it was Bloomberg, New York City. Yeah, New York, big gulp. Yes, I, I was going to say I I know, I I know it was the guy I know John Stewart called the guy a leprechaun. Yeah, it was Bloomberg. He went about it, he had a right idea, but he went about it. A, it was early. There wasn't enough research to back him up and enough people to support him at the time. And B, he went around it the wrong way, which is instead of just taxing it per, instead of taxing 
the manufacturers per gram of sugar. Yeah, he did stupid stuff like he banned you couldn't buy more than a twenty ounce bottle, and it was like it was stupid. Like, but now what they're doing in places like uh, Berkeley or Philadelphia, um, or is it Pittsburgh? I don't remember. Anyway, there's a number of cities that are instituting sugar taxes now, which is when Coca-Cola sells, uh, you know, a Coke, 20 ounce Coke, they get, they have to pay a certain tax per gram of sugar that they put in there. And there's two ways they can go then is they can either, uh, pass the cost along to the consumer and the consumer will spend, will, will buy it less because it costs more or, it incentivizes Coke to keep their same prices by putting less sugar in their product, right? There are ways to attack those cultural issues around consumption that have nothing to do with taking healthcare away from poor people. Okay. I don't think that your, your assessment that Republicans and conservatives think that everyone is gross and lazy and by removing health care, that's, that's a way of, of disincentivizing them. I don't think that it is the bulk of health care expenses to, to pay for irresponsible people, but there is a huge potential for that to develop. And I, don't, I just don't think that government mandates and government policing people's behavior is going to be an effective way at all to change people's uh, lifestyle habits. It needs and to getting be their personal responsibility. I mean, so, you're just saying hypotheticals, though, right? Like, the evidence isn't there to support that. So to support what? That personal responsibility motivates people to live healthy? It, no, to, to support the idea that uh, the government shouldn't be uh, pursuing policies to try to affect that behavior. Because again, I go back to tobacco, right? The steps that we did to curb tobacco use, we banned advertising for tobacco, we taxed tobacco, and we now ban tobacco use in public places, things like that. We also took a lot of the money that we earned from tobacco taxes and turned it into public service announcements and uh, campaigns to tell people the dangers of smoking. And now, I mean, look, when I grew up, everybody could smoke in public places. You went to a restaurant, there was a smoking section, there was a non-smoking section, and it sucked because my parents smoked, and so I had to fucking sit in the smoking section all the time. We smoked, they smoked in the house, they smoked in the car. And as things, as I got older, that started to shift because the money started going into, um, the money started going into, uh, education campaigns that showed not only the effects of smoking, but showed the effects of secondhand smoke. And so lo and behold, my parents not wanting to expose me to say, they couldn't stop smoking themselves, but not wanting to expose me, they stopped smoking in the house. They stopped smoking in the car when we were there and then eventually you couldn't smoke in public so then uh, by the time i was a teenager i wasn't a, uh, i wasn't around secondhand smoke anymore even though both my parents smoked and more importantly when i was growing up not only did my parents smoke most people i knew smoked now i'm an adult i'm 30 
I only know one person that smokes. Nobody my age smokes, right? Because we successfully took money. We successfully pursued policies to change a culture. And the percentage of Americans that smoked in 1980 was 48%. And then in 2016, it's like 8%. I don't think it's fair to attribute the majority of that to regulation, though, and, like, making uh, buildings. You can't smoke in buildings. Sure, it can lower it. But I think that the majority of deterrence to smoking came from that the, the publicity of, of the health realizations about smoking. Like, people didn't know 50 years ago that smoking would give you cancer. And it took a while for people to come to grips with just that, the side effects and of, of smoking. And yeah. I'd argue that that was the biggest factor that brought people away from smoking, which would I mean, be I argue responsibility for their own that life. most people aren't aware of the medical dangers of things like sugar. Yeah, so that's my point, right? I think you're underselling the effect that government spending on education had. But even if we don't, even if we assume, let's I'll assume that it was forces external to the government, then the same thing should end up happening with for example, sugar, like like Amr said, or whatever the case may be, right? What whatever X thing that causes that apparently you keep coming back to, which is like obesity, then the same thing will happen there. That doesn't mean you take healthcare away from people. Yeah, I mean, you don't take away healthcare from people, but you can do things that disincentivize it um, by making it personally disincentivized by maybe making it more expensive or making it not free but what do you do what do you do? does health insurance have a fat tax i mean is that what you do a fat tax i mean yeah because no people the, just pay people just pay for for any treatment that they need but or, but again now you're taking the person who was born with cerebral palsy who ends up their medical costs cost a million dollars by the time they're a toddler and you're lumping them in with somebody who's 40 and eats too much McDonald's. Well, that's why you need to be careful. And that's why it's not make tenable. Sure that you yes, yes, yes. No, no, Brett's right. You need to be careful and not be born with cerebral palsy. No, you need to be careful with not punishing people with a genetic or like a born... Um, disabilities okay that's, but now now you're that's, also that should be that should be the number one focus like controlling I, 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 controlling and managing people's people's um health problems that they can't control that weren't due to their own choices okay but i, then, I don't but, think... then, but then where do you then where do you st- first of all who's the panel that decides all this so then all of a sudden you start saying well, the person that comes into the ER that was in a car accident with 80 broken bones or whatever, well, they weren't a very good driver. 
right? So we're going to penalize them and we're going to charge them more for that, right? Or all of a sudden the person that comes in with a broken bone, broken arm because they fell off, you know, whatever, some swing set or something like that. Well, you were dangerous. You made the decision to get on that swing set. So we're not going to do it. Or by the way, when somebody comes in for a knee replacement at 50 because they were a runner their whole life and running is really hard on your knees, well, you made the decision to run all the time, so we're going to charge you more for that. You made that decision. Where does it stop? More than that, I don't think that it's fair for you to charge people that have essentially been victimized by these sorts of companies. These companies are out for numero uno. They're out to make profits for themselves. Would you have someone who was addicted to cigarettes be charged more for their cancer treatments? I mean, that's not fair. It was Big Tobacco who created this addictive product and then manipulated people into getting into this product. Okay, there's there's a difference between like adding an extra tax and just making people pay like the price that it would naturally cost for like treatment and or you could make certain people pay nothing and certain people pay like a fraction of the price. Like, this doesn't even sound like your free market idea. This just no. sounds like what Republicans described Obamacare as with this whole death panel for grandma thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it is it, it's logical at all to expect that everyone should bear the same health care costs regardless of their their conditions i mean regardless of their behavior but people don't i mean that's not how the system works right now that's not how any system even medicare or medicaid that's not how they work okay we're we're being really uh broad right now no but, well so i'm interested though i'm interested because you're the one who's proposing this. You're the one who's who's bringing up this philosophical argument. But so I'm interested in, what does that look like? Because does it look because that's theoretically what we had before the Affordable Care Act. You could just be denied, like the insurance companies had the right to just deny you, for pre-existing conditions or just charge you more, based on age, based on previous afflictions. They had the right to put caps on your health insurance. So, you know, your health insurance had a lifetime cap of a million dollars. If you ended up costing over a million dollars because you were paralyzed in an accident one day, sorry, tough luck for you. Does, I mean, is that what you're arguing that we go back to? Because that's essentially how the market handled punishing people for bad decisions. It just also ended up punishing a lot of people who had bad luck. Well, I don't think that, once again, I don't think that just refusing outright care is 
is what anyone is advocating for. But the concern is 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 when you you take the focus off of personal behavior and you put the focus on the government, you get kind of like this spiraling where the government has to constantly go back and forward to look out for people's own health interests when really it should be the individual who, who should chiefly look after the health interests of themselves. I mean, that's not always feasible. Like, let's say I'm just driving down the road when suddenly my car is run off the road by somebody else and, you know, my car just run falls down a whole bunch of cliffs and, like, my hands get awfully damaged. Now I can't use my hands properly anymore. Or I'm just horribly injured. There's two comments I have to that. One is, that's two statements, I think, in my opinion. I don't see how they are not almost diametrically opposed because when you say nobody should be denied health services or health care, but that there should be something that allows, you know, personal responsibility that allows people to be punished for making bad decisions or something like that. Well, like what are those, that those two things don't jive. Like what does that look like? That's one. And two is again, how do you, do that without grabbing up a bunch of people who didn't have any input into their health problems at all. And how is it different than what we had before the Affordable Care Act? It's different because the problem is, is that the, in the, in the past they used to have, a lot more deregulated healthcare, and <clears throat> they had these things called health lodges, where um, you know working class people, working class laborers would pay for a certain doctor or service. And what happened is the government endorsed through um, the American Medical Association. They endorsed really, really strict standards for doctors and healthcare. So eventually what happened is you saw the end of health watches. And I think that part of the reason why it's not feasible anymore to have a free market system is because the government made it impossible by raising um, standards for healthcare, which sounds great, but there can be a point where the standards are so high that basically you're controlling the market to gain a profit. And I think that's the current system right now, which is that doctors are a very, very, very small number of the population. And the smaller percentage you have, the, the higher profits you have as a healthcare provider in the terms of like insurance and just hospitals in general. So, yeah, it is hard to make it a completely free market system because of the current environment that we're in. So what I would do to solve for that is I would just lower the standards um, 
for basic like medical services. So when I go to the doctor, I answer a couple questions about, oh, let me feel your balls and you can cough. And do you have a girlfriend? Do you have any STDs? The average doctor's appointment is the doctor is completely overqualified for the kind of like care that he's giving. And the reason why healthcare costs are so high these days is because people don't go through routine checkups and the government has to force um, healthcare providers to provide healthcare in emergency services. So you have a system where people don't look at like their chronic illnesses early and when something goes horribly wrong, the government's there to pick them up and, you know, foot the bill or foot most of it or a portion of it. And what really needs to happen is that the culture needs to change to a point where people were going to regular checkups with doctors is normal. And I don't think that's possible when you have health restrictions to the point where you need someone who spent eight years in medical school to just give a routine medical checkup. So you may seem like a terrible person for kicking out, you know, people who need care right now in the current environment. But if you have a truly free market environment, it should be the most effective means in supporting a culture where people live more healthy because there's that feeling of personal responsibility and the system would encourage it. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think it's the biggest bunch of bullshit that I'm sick and tired of hearing, to be honest with you. I think this idea that just two thirds of the country just decided that they wanted to be overweight, like over time, it just doesn't even make any sense right so like I, I in we've had a free market health insurance system health care system like clearly it's it, that wasn't working so i don't know what the idea comes from that supports that and i also because think in terms of getting preventative care if you want people to get preventative care then you get them insurance i mean there was a study that came in, came out in the New England Journal of Medicine on Wednesday, the day before the bill was that was released, and the leader of the study talks about. It. He says, for every three hundred to eight hundred people who get insurance, about one life is saved per year. The cost of society is somewhere between three hundred thousand and eight hundred thousand dollars per life saved. Other policies that save lives, for example, health worker safety protections and environment environmental regulations, cost closer to seven point six million dollars per life saved. So we put environmental regulations that cost $7.6 million per life saved, and that is perfectly reasonable, although I don't know if you're Republican, maybe not. But then $300,000 to save a life by giving someone insurance is too much, right? And the guy goes on to point out, he's like, people have greater access to primary and preventative care, chronic illness treatment and medications. 15 to 30% more people get screened for high cholesterol and cancer. Nearly twice as many patients take necessary diabetes medications. Depression symptoms are reduced by 30%, and people are diagnosed successfully when they have uh, access to health care, to health insurance. 
Uh, more low-income patients get necessary surgery for colon cancer before it's too late. 25% more people report being in good or excellent overall health. The longest study of Medicaid indicates that it cut mortality 6% over five years. The biggest gains came from healthcare, amenable diseases like heart disease, cancer, and infection. So I, I do think, actually not very surprising because I've agreed with stuff that Brett has said before. Hello? Can you yeah, hear me? Yeah. Okay, just making sure because like, there's been several moments where I've just cut out and I'm like, damn it, I was about to give a giant monologue here. But no, I, I think that part of what Brett says is very interesting to me, which is the idea that some doctors are vastly overqualified to be giving the kind of checkups that they're giving. And I think that if we could have it so that we have people who aren't necessarily overqualified to that degree doing that kind of work, that would be very interesting. And just try to make it so that people try and get these checkups yearly and make sure that they are healthy and all this thing so that... Um, what's it called, that they are uh, more likely to catch these kinds of things and make sure that they aren't unhealthy or what have you. And I think that the better way to do that is instead of charging people for not doing it, just say give them a discount for doing it. Maybe if you do a yearly checkup, your medical bill when something goes wrong is slightly less. Like, I'm going to use a video game example here. In World of Warcraft, they had this thing called the resting system. Basically speaking, if a player went to sleep and then they came back, you know, their character would be get all the, these interesting stats. Their stats would be normal, actually. No, sorry, I'm mis-explaining it. But the oh, way that okay. it worked is if you didn't rest, your stats went down. But if you did, your stats became normal. Everyone hated that, so they changed it and made it so that your stats being down were just your normal stats. And then when you rested, your stats were boosted. And everybody loved the new rested stats. I mean, uh, you know, I can make it actually because as the one person here who I think is working and has a, a, an actual health insurance policy. <clears throat> These things already exist in health insurance and nothing about the Affordable Care Act stopped that. So my insurance program, <clears throat> which is through a Blue Cross Blue Shield company, uh, they contract with Virgin America, not the, you know, Virgin is a big company that does lots of different things. And Virgin has a program called Health Miles. And essentially what it is, is it's a program where you wear a pedometer every day and you walk a certain amount. They have these booths set up uh, in our building where I work that you can go and you can, it takes your weight and your blood pressure. And then once a year you go do what they call a, a checkup. It's a vital screenings and they check your cholesterol, your blood sugar, your waistline, your BMI, uh, your weight, obviously, I get this tied to BMI. Uh, they check all these parameters, and you get a certain number of health miles, is what they call them, 
for all these different activities. So every time you do more than 7,000 steps in a day, you get 100 health miles. Every time you go to one of these kiosks and you take your blood pressure and your weight, you get a certain number of health miles. If you show a reduction in your weight, you get an extra set of health miles. If you enroll in a program that helps you quit smoking, you get health miles. If you enroll in a program that helps you lose weight, you get health miles. If you go to your vital screening and all of your measurements are within the healthy range, right? Your blood pressure is 120 over 80 and your cholesterol is less than 35 and your blood sugar is less than 80, uh, all those things, you get health miles for all those things. And at the end of the year, if you get a certain number of health miles, you get a $600 discount on your insurance premium. Like those are ways that you incentivize people to improve their life and improve their culture that already exists today. And that didn't take health insurance away from anybody. So I don't, that's completely separate in my opinion from taking $880 billion away from Medicaid. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree that the Medicaid thing under the current, the cuts to Medicaid under the current conditions is, is, is harmful because the system set up right now is not a system that manages costs efficiently because what I personally believe is that big pharmaceutical companies, big medical corporations have an insanely powerful influence on the government in terms of lobbying and in terms of just yeah overall influence so what happens is people who who just want a routine checkup people who don't have a whole lot of money but are perfectly healthy they have to pay insurance for all kinds of services that they wouldn't actually need Yeah, but that's how insurance works. Like you sound like Paul Ryan. That's what Paul Ryan said. That's how insurance works. I pay my car insurance every month. I've never had an accident. I've only gotten one speeding ticket my whole life. But part of the reason I pay insurance is so I'm paying for other people's car accidents. But the flip side of that is is one day when I eventually do have a car accident, the insurance pays for mine. That's how insurance works. So if you have health insurance, Yes, that means I, as a guy, end up paying for, um, you know, whatchamacallit, I end up paying for some woman's birth. I'm never going to get birth, so why is my insurance covering birth services? Well, that doesn't matter. That woman giving birth is never going to need uh, whatever, cancer treatment maybe, but one day when I get cancer, I'm not going to be able to afford that by myself, so the insurance that she paid into covers my insurance. That's how insurance works. This idea that know. you only have insurance that covers things that affect you is ridiculous. That's not insurance. Insurance kind of sounds like a legal Ponzi scheme. No, it doesn't. That's not how it works. I mean, the Ponzi scheme is everybody puts in money, and then when one person takes out money, you're like, oh, hey, you've made more money, and like I'm giving you more money than you put in. But in reality, it's a total of everybody's money. Yes. It's a joint pool that you pull from. 
where it does get ridiculous. Insurance does get ridiculous for things like car insurance. I completely agree with that. And the way it discriminates against certain people in the way that after you have an accident, your fucking rates go up anyway. That's ridiculous. That being said, with insurance or with healthcare, I don't think it's that way because with healthcare, people don't choose to get sick. People don't choose to use health insurance, right? And I personally, this is why I support single payer because I don't think that there should be a profit motive in people's healthcare. And I do think I'm getting back to the question around there are too many doctors and overqualified stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. And that's because it's completely reasonable to say that we have incentivized the wrong things. We have world-class healthcare in the United States for really expensive procedures because that's what makes money. Right. And that's part of the free market thing the free market system that we had what we have a shortage of is nurse practitioners and nurses and low level general physicians assistants and things like that because those things don't earn a lot of money and they're still expensive to get those degrees because we don't it costs so much to go to college to get these certain degrees that the only way to make it worth it is to become a doctor that specializes in surgery or something like that that you can make shitloads of money We've completely screwed up that whole system. But again, it wasn't the government that did that. It was private insurance that did that. So we end up having things like we have world-class care for, or we have world-class plastic surgery and these really awesome, you know, really specifically focused procedures. And yet, on the other hand, we have the highest, uh, childbirth mortality rate in the world or in the developed world and we have the highest infant mortality rate in the developed world because we don't focus on people that can do the day-to-day things because it's not profitable that's ridiculous yeah so why would you want the government to foot the expensive bill because all it's going to do is eventually bite the taxpayers in the ass because when the my opinion is when the government has a stake in it and by the way, they technically already do. Medicaid covers 50% of childbirths in the United States already. But the bigger thing is, that's a recent development with the expansion. But the bigger thing is, that puts the government on the hook for, if the government is paying for healthcare outcomes, my opinion is, that puts them more in a vested interest to pursue public health epidemics like obesity, like the opioid epidemic, like uh, child childhood birth um, or uh, infant mortality and childbirth mortality. And by the way, it also incentivizes the government to look at maybe we should spend money to make it more affordable for people to go to school to become doctors. I mean, the biggest exporter of doctors in the world is Cuba. And they don't have a free market system at all. But what the government said was, we want people to be we want a world-class healthcare service and so the government said we're going to pay well they pay for everybody to go to college but we're going to specifically incentivize people to go become doctors and as a result they have a really good healthcare system better than the United States it costs less they have better health outcomes they have a longer life expectancy and they have the biggest export of the country is doctors. When the Ebola epidemic broke out in 2014, Cuba sent more doctors to Africa to work on that than any other country in the world. 
And that was all because the government had an incentive to incentivize people to become doctors. And to do the real things, like tackle actual public health things, not, you know, random high-profit procedures. Well, so anyway. Okay. Uh, I think the last thing that I want to talk about or that I, I want to pose to you is um, that this bill is not at all... I think what we've been talking about for the last hour or so is the conservative versus the liberal debate around universal health care, right? And But what I find interesting about this whole thing is that Republicans were not campaigning on conservative arguments about health care. They were campaigning on liberal complaints about health care. Like, so when we, we've been sitting here discussing, you've been making the argument that, well, you shouldn't provide health care to, to certain people that incentivize you should, you know, there should be ways to disincentivize people to make different health decisions and things like that, right? That was not yeah. what Mitch McConnell was campaigning on. That was not what Donald Trump was campaigning on. So the idea that that's what voters wanted... I, I agree with you. That's the conservative, the actual conservative thought process. But my argument has always been that Americans are not conservative economically in general, certainly not conservative on health care. And I think, my opinion is, people look at this and think that Republicans winning Congress and, and the White House and all that stuff was a reflection that they wanted a more conservative health care policy. My argument is the opposite. I mean, Mitch McConnell... Here's a quote from Mitch McConnell uh, where he says, uh, he's talking about Obamacare, and he says, well, what you need to understand is that there are 25 million Americans who aren't covered now. If the idea behind Obamacare was to get everyone covered, that's one of the many failures. In addition to premiums going up, co-payments going up, deductibles going up, and many Americans who actually did get insurance when they did not have it before have really bad insurance they have to pay for, and the deductibles are so high that it's really not worth much to them. So it's chaotic. The status quo is simply unacceptable. Those are all liberal arguments. That, sorry, end quote. Those are all liberal arguments against the Affordable Care Act. He wasn't saying, like he was saying, and this is what Republicans were consistently saying, that deductibles were too high, premiums were too high, not enough people were covered, et cetera, et cetera. He was not saying Medicaid needed to be cut. He was not saying uh, 20 million people... Uh, need to be cut from health care coverage to give wealthy people a tax break. Uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump literally said, everybody's going to be covered. It's going to be cheaper. And then when he was asked who's going to pay for it, he said, the government will pay for it. He multiple times said that he was not going to cut Medicaid. Just five times that he tweeted that he was not going to cut Medicaid from 2014 all the way through 2017. And yet this bill does exactly all the opposite of that. So I, I, the idea that, that Americans wanted this health care bill, in addition to looking at all the polls that show that it's unpopular, just because they voted for Republicans, 
That's ridiculous. The Ameri- Republicans, in my opinion, pulled a con, which is they made all kinds of liberal arguments that they were going to give, have a more liberal health care plan. And then what they instead gave you was a huge tax cut to wealthy people for less coverage. Yeah, I think that Medicare and Medicaid is a complete capitulation among the Republicans on their values, without a doubt. And the reason why they capitulated is because the environment today makes it completely impossible to have anything other than Medicaid to to uh, care for the people who aren't able to afford health care costs. And the reason is because it is, at the end of the day, more profitable to make a lower supply of medical care. And by raising standards and by limiting the supply and by being inefficient, drug companies and healthcare companies have made it insanely expensive to treat things that would back in the day be fairly trivial and fairly affordable and fairly accessible especially even in Europe and that's that's the that's the problem well but i don't know how that addresses the problem that what they campaigned on was getting more people more coverage for cheaper and the bill does the opposite of that i mean i can respond to that super easy Okay. As a rule, if Trump has campaigned on something, expect him to do exactly the opposite. Mm. Like if Trump's campaigned on... Oh. What, what, what do you mean? He, he, he said he wants to make a... Bo- okay, the border wall, which may oh, or may so not... We're getting off topic now. He, he, he talked about Medicaid, and he said we're not yes. cutting it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of... Uh, like, if you listen to his description of care and you look at the bill that we have now, those two do not jive together. Like, those are two very separate entities. Because the bill that he is describing, or was describing when he was running, is a bill that would never be passed by a Republican Senate or a Republican House. Well, but again, I don't want to put this all on Trump, because all Republicans... Like like I said, it wasn't like Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan or John McCain or any of them were out there saying, what we really need to do is cut Medicaid by $800 billion to give people to give a retroactive tax break on people earning three, $200,000 or more a year on investment income. And that's what this bill literally does. It's not even that it cuts taxes in the future. It literally has a retroactive tax break to say, starting on January 1st, 2017. So this first six months that you've been living under Obamacare and you've been paying a 3.8% tax on investment income, if you're making more than $200,000 on it, 
we're actually going to give you that money back at the end of the year. Nobody ever campaigned on that. And we're not not just Trump, but anybody, any Republican. I think the biggest disappointment for conservatives is probably um, Trump's promise to get rid of the state lines for healthcare companies and basically just increase competition. I think that would be the first step to making uh, a free market healthcare system actually work by just increasing competition as much as possible, letting people bid for drugs that come from Canada or any other place in the world. So but yeah, Trump and the, the Republicans took the obvious kind of solution in front of them, which was just to promise and talk entirely about Medicaid. Yeah, so, I mean... This is the whole ridiculous ridiculousness of Trump, though, because um, this idea that you would simply get rid of state lines to sell health insurance. There's two things that go to, to that, by the way. There's one of them, which is, OK, all the regulations then have to be handled at the federal level, not the state level. So that's not a conservative idea or. Regulation is still handed at the state level, but you can sell across state lines. Nobody would do it. And we know this because that already existed before Trump was elected. That exists now. Five states allow insurance companies to sell insurance across state lines. The problem is you have to still meet the regulations of the state itself in terms of what kind of coverage you offer. So literally, no insurance company sells insurance plan in more than one state. Like the yeah, idea I mean, that this was the idea that this was a that this was a unique Trump proposal is ridiculous. There was literally a part in the Affordable Care Act that allowed it. And five states already approved it and nobody's doing it because it didn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense because there's regulations in place that have the attention on making healthcare more expensive than it should be. Where? And those those regulations have been lobbied by big medical corporations. No, where? Name one. I'm sick and tired of hearing this argument that regulations are stopping this and that. Name one. Once again, we were talking earlier about and not being allowed to bring in drugs from Canada. That is goes completely against the free market. And the concern and is, you know, that we're going to lower the quality of care, which it, it is true to an extent, but the lower quality care you have, the more available it is. So there is definitely a balance that we need to achieve. And the balance right now is extremely skewed towards the most perfect, highest quality care, and the cost shouldn't be considered at all because the government's going to foot the bill. That's not a re- 
That's not a regulation that's preventing health insurance being sold across state lines. And the fact is you can't name one because here's the thing. Here's a quote directly from people who are dealing with this. This was uh, from a Forbes article in 2016, October 2016, talking about this very proposal. And uh, the Center for Health and Economy wrote, quote, Currently, individual states can decide whether or not to allow insurers to sell plans from another state in their state. However, even where this is allowed, various barriers such as difficulty of building a network and attracting enough customers to create a large enough risk pool make it unappealing to insurers to pursue this option, end quote. Uh, Further, here's another quote from Georgetown University Health Policy Institute. They say, quote, the barriers to entry are not truly regulatory. They are financial and they are network, end quote. Okay, yeah, you can have financial barriers and regulatory barriers in terms of, like, the standards of care. So, yeah, different states having different standards of care, that's a problem. And different states having different, like, restrictions on payment and taxes, that's another problem. That's not at all what they said, though. They said the problem was with creating a network and getting enough people to sign up. That's why nobody was offering it. Because it's not because the healthcare corporation is in a different state. No one goes, oh, this healthcare company is from Colorado. I can't put money into it. I don't know. Like, there's no connection there. It literally, she literally said the problems are not regulatory, they're doing with network and customers. Why, why can't an insurance company be across states? Why is that a network problem? I don't get that. Because they have to build a network of doctors and hospitals that they work with. Yeah, and why would a state line prevent them from doing that? Because generally they don't have experts in those states to work with those they people. Don't they don't have, have locations in those states. In they don't have locations and offices in those states. Okay, every single company in the U.S. pretty much has no problem going across different states. So to say that an insurance company can't do the same, I'm very suspicious of that. Because because there's no such thing, like if if somebody wants to sell something to Walmart then they can go contract to Walmart and there's whatever, 100,000 Walmarts in the, in the country, right? There's not, like, doctors aren't, co- aren't corporations. Like, there's not one person that you can go to that, that an insurance company can go to that they can contract with 100,000 doctors in 50 states because every doctor's office is completely separate. It's its own self-sustaining small business. Most hospitals are their own self-sustaining business. They're not part of a larger nationwide corporate hospital structure. Question. Yeah. How how long have we been going for at the moment? About an hour and a half. Yeah. All right. I I mean, we may, regardless of whether or not we, we wrap up, I feel like, We've kind of done this one a bit to death, like this specific area of discussion in terms of 
free market or not free market and hypotheticals and what have you. I mean, okay. if we do keep on talking, I would like to talk about the actual bill, so to speak. Okay, what about it? Okay, well, I don't, like, entirely agree on it with it. I mean, I don't agree. I'm not going to defend it, so there's not going to be a whole lot of discussion there. I Let's mean, just do closing statements on, like, this thread of the thought, and then we'll stop, I guess. I mean, all right, I was just going to kind of ask, like, what you didn't agree on and what you did agree on. Okay. Because that, that interests me, because, you know, not everyone 100% agrees with something that their party puts forward. Like, I describe myself as a Democrat, but there's many things that the Democratic Party does that I'm not entirely on board with. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much don't agree with anything in this bill. I don't think it does anything good. So I guess my, my final statement on the free market stuff is that every single thing that Paul has been describing and that we've been talking about seems to indicate that it is extremely restrictive to, to, to give medical care, whether it be uh, health regulations and health standards or just moving companies across state lines, it doesn't, of course, you can say the free market doesn't work if you have an environment where the free market is completely impossible. I mean, to that, I would just say, name me one other free market healthcare system in the world that works. Uh, like the Roosties? Hmm. Not a good start. I think for the, for the resources that people had in the, the medical um, training that they had back then, the medical knowledge, the medical system 100 years ago was, was superior. Uh, I don't yes. know how to respond to that. Same where old people died of polio. Yeah, I think if you're making any kind of argument that health outcomes were better 100 years ago than they are now, I don't know how to have a debate about that. No, no, no. Come on, guys. We should all get polio, and that then we can run and try and see if we can be the next president. Well, that's been like, a frankly, We still have diseases now. They hadn't come up with a cure for that, but the point was people died of like at like 50 from heart attack and cancer. You know, like they didn't go to the doctors regularly. They bought snake oil. They died giving childbirth. I mean, like, I mean, because they more gave people birth in their home in the Spanish American War. And from you can attribute all of those problems to just a lack of resources and also a lack of education in terms of. I'm pretty knowledge. sure this was back in the day where doctors straight up didn't wash their hands because that just wasn't a thing. 
No, no, no. I don't care. I don't care about this. Show me one other country that has a free market health system that works, that provides quality care at lower cost than what we have in the United States. I don't think that there is one. Oh, that's, that's interesting. And that's because in many ways, like healthcare policy, it emanates from wherever like the majority of drugs and just uh, medical supplies in general is being produced. And the pharmaceutical companies, most pharmaceutical companies, most medical companies have their base in the US. And most people who have started uh, healthcare base it off of, you know, the US. So China, basically, China's starting a medical company. It's going to mirror what the U.S. is like. Wait, so that doesn't even make sense because the U.S. has the closest thing to a free market system of any country, and we have worse health outcomes and more. It costs more. Yeah, because once again, the environment is okay, okay. suited we're, we're, to the free market. We're not so, going anywhere with this. No, because it's not making any sense. It's just saying, this, no, this, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any this, sense at all. It's a really cyclical argument. Brett is going to make the point that we need a proper free market thing. Paul is going to make the point that that doesn't fucking work. Brett's going to make more points about how it does. No, it's, it's not fair we're, we're to say. Where? What I'm saying I'm, is that it's, it's not it's fair to say this podcast around. just because there's no other examples around the world doesn't mean that a free market system wouldn't work. I, I will turn this podcast around. Because I don't know how healthcare policy and healthcare knowledge it emanates from the United States. Okay. I, I feel like that, that that's a reasonable wrapping up point. I feel like it doesn't make sense. No, I want to ask one last question on this free market idea. Do you honestly believe not even health insurance, but health care, right? is free market could ever be free market that is not saying who pays for it but where you go to the doctor where you go to get care could ever be free market do you think anybody treats it as a free market system like i choose whether or not i want to eat at restaurant a or restaurant b i choose whether the shoes i want to get i buy them from nike or adidas i choose you know my groceries do i buy them from walmart or kroger or whole foods or wherever do you think anything like that ever exists with healthcare? I think it should because fundamentally, when you guarantee the same kind of the same quality of care, what you're doing is is you are you are artificially working against nature in a way that isn't sustainable. So you think you support a system in which you get in a car accident, you're unconscious, and you're in an ambulance on the way to hospital, and you wake up for your unconsciousness and say, no, please don't take me to that hospital. Take me to the one on the other side of town because it's cheaper uh, to get an x-ray and it costs a little bit less, or it, uh, the doctor has a little bit more knowledge. He went to the right school. Yeah, I think that's fine. Okay. 
Well, I'm done. I think that speaks for itself. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week for the Fairly Political Podcast. Uh, as always, you can reach us at the at our email address, fairlypoliticalpodcast at gmail.com. You can get in contact with us on the Facebook group, Fairly Political Podcast, or the fan group, uh, which I believe is also Fairly Political Podcast. You can follow yep. us on Twitter at Fairly Political. And uh, let us know if you have any questions or comments or concerns. We haven't gotten any so far, but it would be nice to uh, hear any questions we could answer uh, on air in another episode. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Casts. Um, and if there's anything else that you think we should be, uh, go ahead and let us know. Drop us a line, too. And uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.